Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 89, Obtain a Good Hope or Confidence. I have really enjoyed studying chapter four of Jacob this week. This isn't a chapter that I've normally spent a lot of time in, but as I've pondered it, trying to understand Jacob's message, but then also the intent behind his message, I've had scripture verses pop into my mind. I love it when that happens. I have not diligently taught myself to memorize scripture. So when I do start to have verses come into my mind, I do feel this is the Spirit teaching me or snapping its fingers at me to pay attention. At first, I thought chapter four was just a whole jumble, uh, maybe a potpourri of Jacob's counsel that he wanted to give his people. But I kept chewing on it, and I could tell that chapter four definitely was an introduction leading into him preserving the allegory of the tame and wild olive tree. That was a allegory that was given by the prophet Zenos. We no longer have the teachings of Zenos. So that was preserved from the brass plates. And that basically is in, in a really very small nutshell, just a wide reaching story to help us visualize God's plan and his efforts and the lengths that he'll go to on our behalf in order to be able to help give us the best chance that we can have in in being able to come unto him. Anyways, I began to see chapter four differently. I believe that Jacob's underlining message to us is teaching us to have confidence in Christ. All of us desire confidence, and we will look anywhere to try and find it. And boy, the world does have messages out there about where they believe confidence comes from. Lose weight, feel great, right? Or new clothes, new you. Destination travels where you can come alive. Or be a better mom by doing X, Y, and Z, and your child is going to turn out phenomenal. (laughs) More money, more freedom, and so on, and so on, and so on. Notice that there are elements of truth in each one of these. None of them is wholly wrong, unless that is where you begin to place your trust and believe you're gaining your strength from. Because unfortunately, weight fluctuates. Clothes wear thin. The travel, well, it must come to an end sometime and doggone it, your children have agency. (laughs) They all have a journey that they're on that has really nothing to do with you and how amazing you are. And money can be great and it can be a trapping. Only material or, or teaching that we can build a safe foundation on or that we can get true confidence from is on the stone, Jesus Christ, who is truth, who speaks of things as they really are, and who delivers these things to us plainly, not for his benefit, not because it will increase him in riches and prestige, not for fame or for adoration. He does this only for our salvation, for our benefit and our progression, for our eternal life. 
Jacob begins chapter four with the reminder that it isn't easy to engrave upon the plates. So what does that tell me? That tells me that what Jacob is capturing here is crucial. It's what he finds worthy enough to add to the sacred record that had been passed down to him from his brother Nephi. It's perhaps what he sees his people are lacking as they are practicing and trying to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe clarifications to help them see the light of Christ more clearly. I find it interesting that Jacob, being the holy man that he was, only gave us seven chapters. And that is in no way a criticism, but just a reminder that Nephi told Jacob when these plates were passed down to him to only write what Jacob considered to be most precious and to engrave sacred preaching, the great revelations, and the prophesying. Leave the history out of it. Just focus on what you find to be precious. So, to remind you, so far Jacob has touched on pride or the danger of indulging ourselves, looking down on others because of our riches. Jacob gave us the correct order of how God wants us to treat our riches and what to do with our riches. He also included the warning regarding the abomination of desiring more than one wife and having concubines when God has not commanded us to do so. And he is going to, through the allegory in the next chapter, he's going to teach us about the scattering and the gathering of Israel, but also how the Gentiles will be grafted into God's plan. And then he is also, in the last chapter, he's going to preserve for us the story of Sherem, who denied Christ and who spread his teachings among the people and how his deceits affected the people. But Jacob reveals to us the method in which Sherem crafted his lies. And I believe Jacob gave us a blueprint to help us hone our discernment skills so that we won't be deceived as we await and do our thing until the coming of the Lord. So, with that summary in mind, I have a better appreciation how Jacob is teaching us in here in chapter 4. He's teaching us to place our confidence in Christ, not in riches, not in false pleasures, and definitely not in deceiving men, but in Christ. And like any father or preserver of history, both the temporal and spiritual, Jacob desired his children to know about his generation and those who'd come before him about their fathers. There are studies that show that a child's confidence grows greatly when he knows not only his immediate family, but his ancestors as well. Their struggles, their victories, their hardships, and the blessings they received from the hand of the Lord. My fathers knew it is a slogan that they can take with themselves through difficult trials because they had been taught the pattern and also they had been taught that that's not to hold them back. It builds confidence to face adversity and not shrink from it or see adversity as too daunting to overcome and be overpowered by it. Jacob hopes like we hope that his children will receive his writings 
with thankful hearts and that they will learn with joy about their fathers. I find it interesting and such a nugget (laughs) of wisdom about human nature that Jacob writes in verse 3 that he hopes that his children don't receive these writings with sorrow and contempt concerning their first parents. His choice would be that their children will be thankful for the experiences that their fathers had moved through and overcome and, and joyful for how they knew God and how God had poured out his blessings upon them. So many times when we study history in the safety of our home, protected from the elements, not experiencing the pressures, and with our tummies full, all the while enjoying the fruits of the labors of those who had come before us because of the lessons that they've learned. We can sometimes become judgmental of their process, having contempt for their weakness and their struggle, that it wasn't obvious to them at the time. And we can have sorrow that they had to go through such a ridiculous learning process to come to the truth and knowledge that has blessed our lives, that we've basked in for years, that has become so commonplace to us, we can't imagine not having it. A thankless heart fails to remember where their liberties or their blessings come from and how they came to be. Instead, if we can look at history with thankful hearts and joy for the process and the sacrifice of those who went before us, we can not only be grateful for the enlightenment that we currently have or experience, but it also gives us confidence that we too can make it through our learning lessons of the day, that we can learn that we can be conquerors over the battles that we're facing to be able to give our children enlightenment and a better existence here in mortality for them to enjoy. Jacob desired this, so he labored diligently to teach and to also engrave upon the plates that his seed would know their fathers believed in Christ, and that the prophets who had come before them also believed in Christ. He says in verse 5 regarding the prophets who came before them, that they believed in Christ and worshipped the Father in his name. And this was so commonplace to me that I didn't really pick up on its significance until I was reading the Institute Guide and also the chapter heading, duh, (laughs) that this is considered to be an important detail. And it is. Jacob gave us some insights into how things always have been, And though it might have been corrupted over time, he let us know that prophets centuries, no no thousands of years before Christ came, since the beginning of time, that prophets have worshipped the Father in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. That gives us confidence that when we pray to God in the name of Jesus Christ, when we are asking for healing and for blessings and sanctification for our efforts that we're making and we're asking father this in the name of jesus christ the atonement of jesus will be available to us to help us with all of it it is available to us 
to give us confidence in truth and power from He who truly possesses those things. Jacob testified that studying their scriptures, or the words of the prophets that had come before them, had pointed their souls to Christ. The Nephites knew of his coming hundreds of years before he was actually going to come. They knew this because they had the brass plates, which anchored or grounded their souls in the knowledge of him. And this then opened them up to be able to receive their own revelations and prophesying. And all of these things working together, not just each one singularly, but working together, gave the Nephites confidence because these things in truth and plainness were witnessing to them of the power of Jesus Christ and his atonement, which he will provide them. And because of this, they had obtained a hope. Their hope had become so unshakable insomuch that they truly could command in the name of Jesus and the very trees obey us or the mountains or the waves of the sea. That is incredibly powerful. That takes tremendous confidence. Confidence in who you are and the life and choices you're living and also confidence in God that he's there for you. And this scripture brings the question to my mind, what is holding me back? More specifically, what do I lack? What falsehoods am I cleaving to? Am I, what am I believing that is keeping me from reaching my potential? Where is the fear and the doubt that I need to cast out of my life so that I can be just as confident as these Nephites were? And by the way, do you know how powerful your words are? Jacob and those like him could command, or they could use their words to command their surroundings. Are you using that same power to bless your life or complicate and diminish it? The words we use can give us confidence if they are true And if they are virtuous, the alignment of our thoughts and our words are the foundation of our power, really. The power of agency that we've been given, that's where it starts. You are a child of the Supreme Creator, and being His child, you too create. He has given you the space and the opportunity to create whatever experience your heart desires. Yes, there are challenges and obstacles to overcome. That's what we signed up for. That's what we know it's going to give us opportunities to grow and become like Him. But if you desire joy, you can create it. And if you desire love, it's yours. If you desire beauty, go and beautify. And if you desire sadness, anger, and hate, you are also at liberty to create those as well. As the child of the Supreme Creator, your thoughts, which then become your words, are more powerful than you realize. As Jacob teaches us of God's power in verse 9, 
by the power of his word, man came upon the face of the earth, which earth was created by the power of his word. Wherefore, if God being able to speak, and the world was, and to speak, and man was created, oh, then why not able to command the earth, or the workmanship of his hands upon the face of it, according to his will and pleasure? What are you creating with your words? But lest we get ahead of ourselves and become prideful or boastful, thinking we don't need his help, Jacob also teaches that, The Lord showeth our weakness, that we may know that it is by his grace and his great condescensions unto the children of men that we have power to do these things. So what does weakness have to do with confidence? Well, everyone's got it. (laughs) Everyone is doing this human thing. And frankly, that brings me relief. Especially on those bad days of mine when, oh, my perfectionism is acute within me and I'm shaming myself for my mistakes or just my imperfections. What soothes my soul is to realize I'm not the only one doing this human thing. And humans aren't perfect. It's part of the gig. (laughs) And that though other people's weaknesses aren't necessarily really obvious to me, They must have them because, again, it's part of the gig. And besides that, I am definitely not doing it terribly. And I'm sure that I'm not surprising my Savior in the least. There's nothing that I can do that causes him to scratch his head and wonder, I don't know if that's covered. And I don't say that lightly. And it isn't a pass to go and adopt the philosophy of eat, drink, and be merry. I say it to actually really help direct me back to him and to look upon him and realize that his grace is more than I can comprehend. And his ability to come down or condescend to my level and understand me, he really gets me. He understands you and he really gets you too. And that's what gives me the ability to keep moving and keep trying. It's when we misunderstand that that we give up, isn't it? But the fact that we don't, the fact that we're relying on him, that is confidence. Great and marvelous are the works of the Lord. Jacob teaches that it's impossible that man should find out all of God's ways. In fact, God's mysteries are described as being unsearchable are the depths of the mysteries of him. And that no man knoweth of his ways, save it be revealed unto him. Wherefore, brethren, despise not the revelations of God. Misunderstanding this teaching has made many in these days lose confidence in God and in his prophets. One, that they either despise the process of receiving new revelation, believing that the church ought to be fully restored, and instead of realizing that the church is in the process of being restored. They're forgetting the line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, that this is a living church from a living God. Or two, they believe that the prophet of God should, because he is a prophet, 
have all the right answers, and a complete knowledge of all of God's ways at every point in history, despite their circumstances. Therefore, comparisons between decisions and statements from past prophets and past times are compared to the social norms of today and are found to be lacking or sometimes even insulting to God's children. And then confidence is lost in the prophet or even in the ability for one to be a prophet. But confidence does not need to be lost. It can be maintained with the understanding and the accepting of the truth that not all has been restored and that God does have the power to command the earth or the workmanship of his hands upon the face of it according to his will and pleasure. We, despite this, have been blessed with great knowledge about who God is and about his ways, about his character, so we can build confidence confidently upon him. Take verse 10, for example. When we fully embrace the attributes of God about his counsel, that he counsels in wisdom and in justice and in great mercy, not just mercy, but great mercy over all of his works. I don't know. I believe our prayers, when we understand that, will dramatically change from requests or propositions that we're presenting to him from our own wisdom, that they'll turn into prayers of faith, faith that he's got our back and that he wants the best for us, which gives confidence to our hearts that number one, we don't have to have it all figured out. And number two, he's not going to let us slip. He's not going to let us fall through the cracks. Our confidence can truly grow despite our many or our grand failures because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. The mercy he gives us and the grace he offers us, we just, we know we are not going to strike out or lose our opportunity to keep moving forward. And as part of his atonement, he offers us a resurrection after this life and Jacob encourages his people to seek after it. But Jacob also encourages his people that by doing so, they will be presented as the first fruits of Christ unto God. Can you imagine that? Being presented to God as not only belonging to Jesus Christ, but for Jesus to be so pleased with you and to introduce you as one of the first fruits of his love and sacrifice. Him standing there, looking at you as you embody and emulate what he did for you because you had confidence in him, because you placed your trust in him and in his ways. But because Jesus is full of great mercy, Jacob teaches we don't even need to wait as long as that to receive all that good feeling living the good news of Jesus Christ permits us to have a good hope of glory in him before he manifesteth himself in the flesh. For the Nephites, this would mean before the mortal mission of Jesus Christ. But for me, and feel free to join me, (laughs) this means I can have a good hope of his glory even before he comes again a second time. I don't need to wait to lift my head high in confidence. 
I can right now, in confidence, know that He is all He says He is, that He will do all He promised He would do, and that I am everything He says I am. The Spirit, remember, speaks truth and speaks of things as they truly are. Jesus is the stone, the only sure foundation, and this truth we can have confidence in. Sister Scriptorians increase in confidence, the kind of confidence found in Jesus Christ. With a thankful heart and joy, accept the workings of those who have gone before you. Increase your searching in the scriptures so that your soul can be pointed to Jesus. Begin the practice of being mindful of the workings of your thoughts and your words so that you can create in faith and look forward to the revelations from the Lord. Make it a great day.